Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Hey, well, good morning and welcome again to our shared online service. My name is David, one of the pastors here at Missio Day Chicago. And what we're doing is continuing on our summer series, which is charting through the course of the book of James. It's a 10-week series. We're about halfway through it. And this morning, I'm going to be talking about what James describes as powerful words, that our words have power and impact. They can either persuade us to have direction and meaning in life, or they can be destructive in nature. So if you have a Bible or you have eyeballs to look at the screen, please do so with me as I read from James chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, though our passage is all the way through verse 12. I'll read and I'll pray briefly, and then we will spend about 20 minutes in the Word of God. James writes, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go whatever way we want by the means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. And in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. And this is the word of the Lord. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your presence in the midst of this season and all the uncertainty that comes with it. And as you have declared yourself as a God who speaks, a God who is active, a God who is for, I pray that you would loosen our lips that we might proclaim praise to you, that we might receive your word and be washed by it, and that we would might take up the mantle of the priesthood of believers by blessing others and by sharing the good news. So would you bless our congregation? Would you bless our city? And would you anoint our plans and purposes to you? It's in your name that we pray this and all things, amen and amen. Well, as I said earlier, today's talk is on words, so words on words, and understanding that they're powerful in nature. Brief reminder that James is writing to a scattered church, a church that has been persecuted, and a church that has been oppressed and sent out all over the world. And they're living in this dynamic of two tensions. On one hand, the church is growing rapidly as it's anointed and empowered by the Spirit of God. And then on the other, they are, are experiencing resistance and direct opposition. And so in this tension, James pastorally writes about how to live a wise life. So wisdom is filled in this small little letter. And wisdom that's not clever or cute or unobtainable or reachable based on our culture, circumstances, or, or even our understanding or education. He's writing a wisdom that is accessible. How do we live a wise life in the midst of tension? How do we live a wise life in the midst of struggle or resistance or opposition? And so the wisdom for today is a wisdom on, on words. You know, words 
are important not only in the way that we um, convey who we are, but also how we foster community. Words are the most readily resource to express our heart, our mind, and our souls. They are a vent, as it were, to who we are. And I can't help but to think the reason for that is because we are made in the image of God. And words are very similar when we talk about God himself as well. For John writes in John chapter 1, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him. Nothing that was created was created except through him. For the word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Jesus, as John would say, as the Bible attests to, is the everlasting, the eternal word, the very word of God, the expression of God. So if we want to know the heart of God, if we want to know what God cares about, what God thinks, how God uh, relates to humanity, we look to the life of Jesus. It's something that we've always said. Our programming, uh, the nature of our community will change, but we are always a community that is marked by the way of Jesus. We are a community of Jesus. And so we understand who God is and who we are in light of the eternal word, which is Jesus, the Son of God. And God displays who he is through these words, these fallen, broken words that he might reach us. Okay, so when asked, who are you? God says, I am. And then God reveals his character throughout scripture. And then it's fulfilled in the incarnate word, which is Jesus Christ. The, the um, incarnation is weighty in nature. It expresses the love of God. And words, they carry weight. And that weight is seen within this passage. Now, this passage is a warning passage, uh, very similar to its source text throughout the Proverbs, very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, which James draws heavily upon. This is a warning passage. It's a passage of how to avoid ruin and folly in your life by showing a path that leads to self-destruction and the destruction of others. And we know that words can be destructive as well. We know that emotion, a simple whim of emotion, can cause lasting damage. I think about this in two ways. One is when I reflect back on my life. Great upbringing, great family, great community, all these types of things. But there are words that have marked and marred me that have required, you know, counseling and therapy to, to understand and then to move beyond. But you can trace that throughout the course of your life. We also have experienced that in ourselves to others. You know, have you ever said something that you wish you could take back, but that reflects something that was there? Again, a wave of emotion can cause long-term damage. You know, you just wish you could take those words and put them back in your mouth, but they are an authentic expression of what you were experiencing at that time, whether you like it or not. Now, James says in verse seven, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles. Evidently, you can tame a fish, because that's what James says here. But no one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil. It's full of deadly poison. When Jesus, he spoke of, of words, he says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And what comes out of one's mouth is what makes them unclean. 
So the mouth expresses the heart. Now, listen to this. It's kind of like a bad news, good news type message, right? But no other member of the body, and I think that this is why when we talk about the church as a body, James goes off on teachers here, though this is not a passage limited to teachers, for we are the priesthood of believers that are are going forth and showcasing, ushering in the kingdom of God, and that includes the way that we speak and the way that we act. But no other member of the body can wreck so much havoc on a godly life than the speech or the tongue, than the words that we say. And I think the highlight is this, that apart from God, no one can tame their tongue, that it requires a different kind of fire in our bones, a motivation of our hearts. Apart from God, no one can tame the tongue. So James presents a clear picture of the impact of our words, that instruction matched with authority have great potential, great power power for life, or power from death. Parenting illustration here, uh, when you're parenting, you know that you have stepped into a call. You stepped into a place where your instruction matters, and it's matched with power of authority, not only in proximity and age, you know, being a parent and being a child, but our calling is to impart wisdom on our children's lives. Proverbs chapter 22 Verse six says, start your children off in the way that they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. An imparting of wisdom. So here, James gives the example of teachers to highlight the power of words. Now, teachers uh, engage in a ministry that's all about speak. It's all about word. Much of, of what teachers in our lives do is they give counsel and then they match that counsel with authority or with instruction. They are, they're orders of wisdom, so to speak. Teachers expose themselves to greater danger of judgment. Uh, this is what uh, James says in the first verse. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. See, teachers' constant use of words means that the opportunity to cause destruction or to cause damage or pain or to sin is more readily available. The burden of leading others astray. One of the things I'd like to get across in this message is the the interchange of words. It's kind of like every sermon why I joke about the, the difficulty of doing this. Uh, to somebody on the other end, is that speaking and listening is twofold. The speaker communicates with words, and then, and then that's responded to by, by those who are listening. There's a, there's a binding that occurs uh, when it comes to words. And I think when God spoke creation, when the incarnation occurred, the living word was amongst us, he bound himself to us. And I think the same happens in our relationship with one another. We bind ourselves together with, uh, with words. So when we undertake to guide others in the faith, we must be especially careful to exhibit the same fruit that, uh, of that faith by uh, the way in which we live. So great knowledge brings great responsibility 
according to live to that knowledge. So our character must match our calling. Now we might say, I don't want to use words if it's going to cause other people damage. I don't want to use words if it is not going to be beneficial for myself. I don't want to use words if they are like on hell fire, which is what James talks about. But we also have this exhortation to encourage one another daily, to deposit courage, to invest courage in one another, to not only dear persevere and to be faithful. Furthermore, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing. And that is hearing the good news about Christ. And so there is incredible challenge, but there's also incredible opportunity for people to hear the gospel, the good news from our lips, from our mouths embodied in our character. Our words have incredible creative potential to use words to ascribe value, to ascribe worth, to share, as I just said, Romans 10, the good news of Jesus to others. And James gives us a picture of this. There's a negative, and then I'll end with a, a positive at the tail end of today's talk. But the picture that James gives us is, uh, uh, of the tongue is a bit, a ship, and a spark. A bit is this small uh, you know, thing you put into the horse's mouth and you can direct uh, the entire being. And so the tongue is small, it's hard to control, it can give direction, it can cause destruction, it's capable of blessing, and it's also capable of giving a curse. Words have power. And there's an abundance of words. We love words. I mean, we are more connected than ever before. We have more words than ever before. Have you ever noticed that the, the wall on Facebook, it never ends because there's an infinite number of opinions and words and thoughts that we fill uh, our existence with. Again, James is not cute here. It's pretty direct. And I think that this message essentially will mark that same thing. This is pretty obvious that we have a lot of words and that words have power, but we live in a world where there are lack of consequences for the things that we say. There's a lack of accountability. Brian said it last week, talk is cheap. People weaponize words for individual gain or for satisfaction. We're careless with the things that we say because they make us feel valuable, worthy, or powerful. And often it's at the expense of another human being. I thought it'd be fun uh, to, to uh, emphasize this or to highlight this with one-star reviews, you know? Uh, by the way, if you produce any content, uh, any review it, that's not a five-star review is a one-star review, you know? It just like, it hurts more when people don't affirm you in, in exactly what you're doing. So I'm just gonna throw some of that out into the ether. Uh, but one-star reviews. Uh, first one is the Chicago Riverwalk. It's beautiful, especially in the fall. Yeah, downtown Chicago is absolutely gorgeous. Surely nobody would give a one-star review for such a, a, a masterpiece of our city. But no, there are multiple ones. Uh, one of my favorites was meh, it's okay, overrated. Or secondly, I did not enjoy the forest of buildings. Plus, the river is not clear like the ocean. That's obvious because of the architecture of the city. Uh, how about these one-star reviews for Chicago's own Alinea? This is a, a three Michelin star uh, rated restaurant. Um, year after year, it's in the top 10 restaurants in the world. It has a bunch of one-star reviews. Uh, one was the service was slow. Our meal was average at best, would not recommend. Or another one, I'd rather have fast food. That's a, that's a bit of a harsh one, subjective much. And then third, and I think the most cutting of all the one-star reviews is 
We had thought you ran a classy little joint. Unfortunately, you have to hire from the local talent pool. And that's just a dig on our cities. But, but here's the thing. With all those reviews, there's no consideration. This is the vocation and the art of a human being that's giving themselves fully to something at great expense. And so is just cavalier with these reviews. We've probably heard the phrase, or have all heard the phrase, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And in fact, that should be flipped. For the injuries of sticks and stones are far easier to heal than the damage caused by words. Words can breed all sorts of evil, sins of speech. Multiple Proverbs, Proverbs uh, 10, 18, uh, Proverbs 8 speak of this. The thoughtless chatter that that is highlighted in these low reviews that could cause significant uh, redirection of a life or significant pain. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 20 says, wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right word brings satisfaction, but the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Sins of speech also include gossip and rumors, these things that are so sweet to the lips like honey, but then rot in the deep part of our, our stomach, actually corrupting from the inside out. Or arrogant boasting. An arrogant boasting is assigning primary value and primary need to oneself. Well, why do I labor after all these things? Well, Ephesians chapter four says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up that fits the occasion that it may give, give grace to those who hear it. And so in the closing exhortation and this tension of navigating the things that we say, being as significant as the things that we do, they've got to like match. And, and those reflecting who we are, the word that comes to mind that I want to leave you with today is grace. I forget what it was. It was probably a conversation. Yeah, it was a conversation with Melissa Pillman and we were talking about culture of the Christian church here in Chicago. And we were concerned by the growing lack of grace. Have we cultivated a graceless culture for our own prominence, our own perception, our own selves? Do we, do we reciprocate the same grace that we expect to be given from others? Have we created a graceless, graceless uh, culture? And so as I think about words and that word, uh, the way that we speak, that word grace comes to mind. And I think the pathway forward for us taking on the mantle of responsibility for encouraging, for casting vision, for promoting a healthy life, for displaying integrity, uh, it comes down to being a people who are drenched in God's grace, no longer bound to sin, not unaware of the things that are within us. How crazy is that, that we're redeemed by God? Still in a fit of anger, we can cause lasting damage. It's a, a really human tension there. Uh, Richard Rohr, he writes this. Compunction was a subtle word that the mystics often used to describe a regretful relationship, or a regretful ownership, rather, of our sins, but without descending into abusive self-hatred. Only grace can teach us how to do that. But only then can we begin to become and to live the great mystery of compassion, even towards ourselves. For how you treat yourself is often how you'll treat others. The person who is vindictive to you today has been 
vindictive to their own self this morning. They are punitive towards you because they are punitive towards themselves, even without knowing it. So how do we chart a path forward to bring life and blessing in the things that we speak? And I think it's being, being drenched in God's grace, fostering a compassionate heart towards ourselves and towards others. For if our hearts are not drenched in God's grace, how are we going to be gracious with others? If we're so busy earning our own value, earning our own worth, if you're earning, you're going to expect others to do the same. And so Ephesians chapter 29, let us commit ourselves to the path of compassion. Let us commit ourselves to the path of grace. Let us commit ourselves to being kind to ourselves and and kind to one another. Let us commit ourselves to not cast off the vocation of a high priest. Ultimately, though, would we wash ourselves in the word? This is not in the notes, and I'm running out of time, but uh, I've just preached a message, I think, on the obvious. I think I preached a message that we've heard many different times. But the longing of my heart is that we would press into real spaces in real words in real time. And so I'm praying a blessing over you. My words for you now are compassion and grace, that we would be a people who would would first and foremost seek the kingdom of God, first and foremost find our value and our worth in God, first and foremost uh, submit the whole of our life to God, including our Twitter feed, if you guys are on that, I don't know. And then ultimately what will come through that is a miraculous thing, that this thing that can be used to cause so much devastation will bring and seed life and exhortation and encouragement. And so would we be people marked uh, by our kindness, people marked by our wisdom, be people marked by the kingdom of God. Go in peace. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.